Now, if you would, would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. I'll be reading in your hearing verses 1 to 8. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. For a title, I want to title this uh, text, Is Your King Dead Yet? Is Your King Dead Yet? Won't you look at your neighbor and ask them, Is Your King Dead Yet? (laughs) Don't look at me. Look at your neighbor and ask them, Neighbor, neighbor, is your king dead yet? Amen. Amen. Well, let's hear what the word of God has to say. It's right here in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Then one of the seraphims flew to me, which having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. These days and times, many of us have kings erected in places that should not be erected. Kings come in many forms and fashions, such as our jobs, our children, our spouse, or our house, our cars, our monies. What is your king that you have erected? That you bow down, not literally, that you worship, not literally, that rules and reigns in your life. We all have idols that we erect from time to time that take the place where Christ should be reigning. I want to let us all know this morning that God is a jealous God, and he will not have any other gods before him. So whatever your king is, 
God will not allow you to enjoy it because he wants to be the one and only on the throne. He will continue to trouble you until he has his rightful place. That means if he has to dry it up, if he has to take it away, if he has to allow you to lose it, whatever God has to do, he will do it until he gets his rightful place on the throne. I've seen this in my Christian walk. I've seen God had to move Big Mama out the way. Because as long as Big Mama was in the center, everything focused around Big Mama. But as soon as God took Big Mama away, the whole household, the whole family just dispersed. I've seen God in my walk. Seeing God uh, dry up people's money because their money became their God. I've seen God close doors on jobs because people worship their job more than they worship their God. God is a jealous God, and he will not have any other gods before him. So whatever he has to do, and you wonder why you keep feeling frustrated and eerie. You wonder why you're not moving forward because maybe something has more authority, more uh, in your life than God has. God says, listen, whatever it is, whatever that object is, whoever that person is, whatever that thing is that have more of you than I have of you, I'm coming after that because I paid a price for you. you. You do not belong to yourself anymore. And because you belong to me, I got every right to demand everything from you. Somebody ought to say amen. Amen. That's the truth. In our text today, we see that King Uzziah died. In fact, the text says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah was the ninth uh, king of Judah. He took the throne at the age of 16 and reigned for 52 years. According to 2 Chronicles chapter, verses, chapter 26, Uzziah was marvelously helped by God to lead Judah to political, military, and economic greatness. But when he became strong, Uzziah's heart, was lifted up in pride to his own destruction. He defiled God's sovereignty and violated God's holiness by intruding into the priestly service. So God struck him with leprosy, and he died in isolation from the kingdom he built. But in the year Uzziah died, God revealed himself to Isaiah as a holy one who's enthroned in sovereign authority forever. A hundred years from now, my sisters and brothers, every head of state in this world today will be forgotten. But as these earthly rulers relinquish their power, God will still be sitting on the throne in heaven. Somebody ought to say amen to that. King Uzziah may be dead, but Jehovah, 
the ruler of heaven, is is alive and well. Behind the earthly throne is a heavenly throne. Where do you go when your king dies? Well, I suggest to you, as our text is suggesting, that you ought to make your way to the house of God. God will meet you there in ways you have never expected. Three things happened when Isaiah made his way to the temple. He had one, an upward vision. as verses one to four. And then secondly, he had an inward vision as verses five to seven. And then he had an outward vision, verses eight. Let's look at this first upward vision, verses one to four. The Bible says here, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphims, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. God's transcendence was revealed by Isaiah by the infinite height of his throne. Not only is God still on the throne when men had to give up their thrones, but while men occupy their thrones, God's throne is high and lifted up above all. Amen. Even though Biden is president, we got somebody that's above Biden. And that's why we shouldn't get into this polarization. Because when these thrones, these men down here have to give up their seats, we still have a king who sits high. Hallelujah. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his room filled the temple. What's interesting about this is that he got this vision, this upward vision of God, the Lord, sitting on a throne high and lifted up. But he didn't get a full vision because guess what? All he saw was God's train in the temple. That is a word in itself. God is so awesome that just a glimpse of his train shows you how awesome and how powerful and how mighty he is. Look at here. In the ancient Near East, a king's greatness will be displayed by the length of his train. But while human kings competed with one another for greatness, Isaiah saw the all-consuming majesty of God blanketing everything like an overflowing room. You've been to a wedding, right? We've seen on TV, Princess Diane's train. Is that the longest train you ever seen? And that was splendor in itself. That was something to behold. But I don't care how long that train was. When they stuffed that train in that uh, sanctuary, it did not cover the whole sanctuary and all the people in there. God's train 
filled the whole temple. Hallelujah. We serve an awesome and mighty God. And what an upward vision that was. Look at here. Isaiah said, listen, I not only saw his train filling the temple, but there was some seraphims in there, some fiery ones, ones who covered God's holiness that, that was in the presence of the almighty God. He saw this upward vision, and these heavenly creations had wings. They had six wings. The Bible tells us in our text that with two wings, they covered their face. They flew into God's presence and covered their face. Because the Bible is so clear. If you would, if you turn to Exodus 33, uh, the Bible will clearly come in, Moses, and testify for us. Moses was up on that mountain contending with God. God, I will not lead your people unless you go with me. God says, okay, uh, if I got to show you my glory, that's what I'm going to do to get you to go where I've called you to do. And God says, listen, Moses, I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to show you my glory. But what I am going to do for you, I'm going to uh, show you some grace. <laughs> because the Bible says that no man can look on God and live. So God says, Moses, when I put you in the club of this rock, I'm going to pass by you in all my glory, and I'm going to cover you because no man can look on me and see... <laughs> That's why these heavenly angels, these seraphims covered their face because God is so holy. You God is so holy that we can't look on God's holiness and live because the sin in us, hallelujah, God has to deal with our sin. He is a holy God. And I tell you one thing, some of us take that for granted. We ought to be glad that God ain't dealing with us like he used to do in the Old Testament. We ought to give God some praises for Jesus who died on our behalf because when he looks at our sin, Jesus raises up his hands and says, grace. Hallelujah. Through faith. Somebody ought to give God some praises for that because rightfully we but it's because of grace and mercy. Hallelujah. I tell you Isaiah had this upward vision but not only did these heavenly creatures cover their face because of the holiness of God but they covered their feet Hallelujah. They covered their feet. Come here, Moses, and testify for us once again. Over there in Exodus chapter 3, verses 5, Moses was on that, on that desert, on that backside of that desert, and something on that, in that Midian desert and saw up on a mountain a, a, a bush that would not be consumed. He was consumed by the bush, so he kept looking at the bush, and the bush kept drawing him. So he made his way up to that mountain, and God God said to Moses, 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 what do you have on your feet? Moses, take those shoes, those sandals off your feet because the ground you stand on is holy ground. Somebody ought to give God some praises. You're standing right now on holy ground. Woo! Those angels could not come into God's presence because they had to cover their feet because wherever God is, there's holy ground. Woo! This is starting to feel good to me. My God. But not only that, but not only that, look at this upward vision. 
Not only did they cover their eyes because of God's holiness, they covered their feet because of God's, uh, uh, the ground that they stood on was holy ground. But not only that, they had two other wings. The Bible says that they would go in and out, crying one to another, holy, holy, holy. One angel would come in, one angel would go out, another angel would come in, holy, holy, holy. The God, oh God, <laughs> Woo! the angel started crying out, holy, holy. You know, the, uh, the writers say that this is called an antiphonal. What it does, it, it talks about the uh, thrice God. God is not just holy. He, he's more than holy. He's not just twice holy. He's three times holy. God is so holy that we can't even, uh, uh, it, it, we can't even consume it in our minds. We can't even speak enough about God's holy. God is so holy. So these angels will go in and out of God's presence, crying out, holy, holy, holy. You know, when God wants to get your attention, he usually says something more than one time. You know, all through the New Testament, Jesus would say, Martha, Martha, verily, verily, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you. This time, the angels wanted to put the emphasis on God's holiness. So they didn't stop at two times. They had to say it three times. Because whatever we think of God's holiness is far more above than we can even imagine. God is so holy that he can't even look on our sins and not deal with it. God if does not deal with our sins. He make himself out to be a liar. Hallelujah. God is holy. But not only that, they flew in and out of his presence saying, holy, holy, holy. But look what happens when these angelic beings are crying out, holy, holy, holy. The Bible says in our text right here, it says the post of the door was shaken. And the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. I don't know about you, my sisters and brothers. There's something about when the praises of God is going on. God inhabits our praises. God moves when we praise him. God speaks when we praise him. In fact, some of us might be just a praise away from our deliverance. God moves in the sanctuary when the saints touch and agree and start praising him. And I don't know, I, I can't understand it, Jasper. I can't understand it, Kelly. I can't understand it, my sisters and brothers. When the movement of God is going on in the sanctuary, when the spirit of the Lord is in this place and people can just sit on God and sit there like God ain't moving, like God ain't doing none of this thing, you ought to get to your feet right now and give God some praises because wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's Woo! Woo! I, I just can't understand it. How you can, you said that's not copacetic to do it. That ain't cool to do. That ain't my personality. That's not how I do things. I, I, I'm just more calmer when I praise the Lord. But it was not a calm thing when Jesus got up from the grave with all power in his hand. The earth shook. <laughs> I, I just can't understand it, how, how God can be moving in a sanctuary, and it doesn't move you. 
at all God has done for you, at all God, where he brought you from, what he delivered you from, where he's taking you to, how he's keeping you right now. You may not have the best health. You may not have the best income, but you got God on your side. And if that ain't enough to praise him for, you ain't by yourself. You ain't going through this journey all by yourself. So every morning, I get up and thank him for another day's journey. I thank him that I ain't by myself, that he's walks with me, he talks with me, and he tells me that I'm his very own. I love this. I love what this, this text is, right? Because the door of the post shook. There's something about shaking. Over in Acts, we read this, the uh, disciples were whipped, and they went back to their company of believers, and they started praying. The Bible says, as they were praying, the house shook. (laughs) There's something about God shaking us, God showing up. You can always feel the presence of God. You can feel the shaking in the room. You can feel the Spirit of God in the room. There's something when God shows up. I feel it even right now. You may not feel it, but I feel the presence of God shaking in me right now. Not only that, not only that, the post of the doors was shaken and the room filled with smoke. The presence of the Holy Spirit showed up in that room. And whenever God shows up, he shows out. But I, let's move on. Not only did he have an outward vision, he had an outward, uh, 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 inward vision. It's right there. It's right there in our text. Uh, the Bible says right here, verse 5, 6 and 7. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Isaiah said the word woe, it refers to more than grief and sorrow and regret. It's a word of divine judgment. Isaiah declared judgment on himself. But you know what? Isaiah had an issue before he declared this judgment on himself. He had a woe issue. He was woeing everybody else except for himself. Look at chapter 5. It's right there. It's right there. Uh, Let me just point out some of these woes that he woed everybody. Woe uh, in chapter 5, verse 8. Woe to those who join house to house, add field to field, till there is no place where they may dwell alone. Verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may follow intoxicating drinks, who continue until night till wine inflames them, Not only that, he had a woe issue. Look at verse 18. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity. Verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes 
and prudent in their own sight. Verse 22, woe to men, mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men, violent for mixing. Isaiah had a woe issue. He was woeing everybody else except for himself. Let's not look down our nose at Isaiah because we have the tendency to do that ourselves. We have the tendency to look at other people's situations and say, at least my child ain't like that. At least my child is not on drugs. At least my marriage is not like that. At least my situation is not like that. At least I ain't in sin like them. We all, from time to time, have a woe complex. It's not until Isaiah went into the presence of the Lord that he saw who he was. All of us come short of the glory of God. All of us have dropped the ball. All of us is messed up. All of us are crippled from birth. All of us are messed up because of fall of Adam. And who are you to look down your nose? We all been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not a works, lest any man should vote. Isaiah had a woe issue. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But it was not until he went into the presence of the Lord and we ought to stop measuring ourselves up against each other. It's easy to measure darkness against darkness. But when you lift up the word of God, look at the word of God, then you will see how messed up you are, how jacked up. Woo. It's not until you see yourself and measure yourself up against Jesus Christ. That's who you really are. That's the real measuring stick. We all strive to be like Christ. Hallelujah. We ought to extend grace to one another. We ought to be praying for one another. We ought to be walking with one another, loving one another, encouraging one another, and stop digging ditches for one another. Stop stabbing each other in the back. Stop talking behind the back of people and walk with them. Because all of us, all of us, is nothing but a fall away from being in that place. There but for the grace of God, there go you or I. If it had not been grace on our side, we could be right there where they're at. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Woo! Ruth Graham said, listen, her and Billy Graham was getting ready for an interview. And during the interview, they decided... Man, we're going to clean our house from top to bottom, spick and span. But what they did not realize is that when the camera lights came on, it showed every spot that they missed. She saw all the dust tracks, all the cobwebs they missed. That's the difference, my sisters and brothers. When we measure ourselves up against the light, Jesus will show us everything. You can't hide when it comes to measuring yourself up to Jesus. You can't hide anything. In fact, he knows our uprising, our down-sitting, our going out, our coming in. He knows our thoughts are far off. He knows our secret sins. He knows the thing. You might be able to fool somebody here in church, but Jesus knows everything about you. He knows every thought you have. 
He knows those secret thoughts. He knows the places where you should not be going. He knows the thoughts that you should not be thinking. He knows the things that you said was not in line. He knows everything. And it's easy to do it amongst each other because I'm not omnipresent. I'm not everywhere. But guess what? The eyes of the Lord go to and fro upon this earth, beholding the good and the evil. He knows everything about us. He knows that king that has the affection of our heart. He knows that thing that has more of you than he does. He knows what you will have more eager and so much desire to run to more than running to the church and praising him and giving him glory. I've seen it, y'all. I've seen it on Sundays. People will be down at the parkway, shining their car up, cleaning their car up, because guess what? That's the thing that they worship. People wouldn't let you even come in their house, take your shoes off, you got to make sure everything is clean. You can't touch nothing. It's almost like a monastery. A monastery, is that what it is? Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. It, yeah, it, it, you can't even be comfortable in the house because they worship the house more than they worship their God. Their children, they elevate up so high, their kid can't do nothing wrong. And you know they a baby kid, you know they bad. You tell them themselves they bad. Somebody ought to say amen today. (laughs) God knows. He knows the things that we elevate above him. He knows everything about us. But I want to move on. Uh, But not only that, in this text, not only did uh, God, uh, uh, Isaiah, have an inward vision, and he cast judgment on himself. But I want to point out grace in this text. Look right here in verse uh, 6. It says, Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sins purged. That's good news, y'all, because Isaiah had a woe issue. Not only a woe issue for others, but a woe issue for himself. He was in a bad situation. But I thank God for grace. The very thing that was hindering Isaiah, God touched. His mouth, the thing that was hindering him, the thing that was God wanted to use, God touched it for his good. Thank God for grace, y'all. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God that this illustrates God is a God of grace and mercy. And I'm grateful because as we move to our last point, it shows us why God touched Isaiah mouth. Verse 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. It's interesting that up to this time, Isaiah had never heard the call of God. Isaiah heard God's call. 
whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? And his response was, here am I, send me. He heard God's call for the first time and responded to it as a cleansed individual would do. Notice also God's call to Isaiah was unique. God spoke as one seeking out a volunteer. He called Isaiah and did not command Isaiah's response. Instead, he allowed Isaiah to volunteer. Well, I'm kind of confused about that because all the churches that I've been a part of, churches basically had to beg and plead for people to serve. You almost have to come up Sunday and Sunday. We need somebody to help in the uh, Sunday school. We need somebody to help with the men's ministry. We need somebody to help uh, nursery school. We need somebody to help. Can we get somebody to uh, sign up to do this? Nobody has to beat anyone over the head to serve. God's ministry, God's calling is on a volunteering basis. And I don't know about you. That God's been too good to me not to do anything for him. That's why we read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I present my bodies to you, Lord, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, which is my reasonable, sir. It's the least I can do when I consider all that you did on the cross for me, when I consider how you died on that cross how I consider how you got up from that cross and how you ascended on high and sat down on the right-hand side of God the Father and how I consider every day you're making intercessions for me. Every day you're my advocate. When I consider that one of these getting up mornings, you're coming back for me and I'm going to be in your presence forever and forever. When I consider all that he's done for me, the least I can do. It said, God, here am I. Take my hands. Take my feet. Take my eyes. Take my ears. Whatever you need me for, Lord, here am I. We shouldn't have to beg folks to serve. You ought to be running down there. How can I give back to Jesus? I can never pay the debt for what he did for me. The least I can do is show the world that I love him. And by serving one another and serving this world, Hallelujah. I know I ain't getting many amens on that one, but it's the truth. Amen. And that will preach anyhow. Hallelujah. But God has called you to serve. We are all missionaries. We've all been called to serve. In fact, we are servants of the Lord. Isaiah had an upward vision, an inward vision, and an outward vision. And I wonder this morning, if anybody in this sanctuary would stand to their feet, like Isaiah answered the call and said, here am I, I'll go. I'll go, God. I'll go to the poor. I'll go to the homeless. I'll go to the nursing homes. I'll go to the hospitals. I'll go to my community. I'll go to my neighbor." I'll go to my job. I'll go to the highways and the byways. I will go wherever, whenever, and however I'll go. 
Is that your testimony this morning? Somebody ought to ask God, take my hands, take my feet, take my voice and take my heart. Take all of me, use me for your glory, to your honor and for your praises. I'm yours, Lord. Everything I got, everything I have belongs to you. Because, Lord, you gave me my hands to reach out to men, to show him your love and your perfect plan. You gave me my ears. I can hear your voice so clear. I can hear the cries of sinners, but cannot wipe away their tears. You gave me my voice to sing your word, to sing all your praise to those who never heard. But with my eyes, I see your need for more availability. I see hearts that has been broken. So many people to be free. Lord, I'm available to you. Is that your testimony this morning? My will I give to you. I'll do what you say to do. Use me, Lord, to show someone the way and enable me to say that my storage is empty and I am available to you. Now I'm giving back to you, Lord, all the tools you gave to me, my eyes, my hands, my feet, my voice, so you can use them as you please. I've emptied out my cup that you can fill me up. Now I'm free and I just want to be more available to you. Use me, Lord, to show someone the way. Is that your testimony this morning? Can you sing that song with conviction? Well, if you can't, I want to pray for you. I want to invite you to stand to your feet right now that you might make yourself available to the Lord. Are you available to the Lord? If you are, stand to your feet right now. If you want God to use you for his glory, for his honor, and for his praises. I know we've singed over and over again. The Lord, I'm available to you. Use me. But is that really your testimony? Is that really your heart? I told you God knows who you are. He knows your heart a thought afar off. Please don't play with God. Is that your testimony this morning? Are you available to be used by God? Let's look to the Lord in word of prayer. Father, we thank you even right now. We pray for each one of these members, God. Lord, as we stand here, we make ourselves available to you. God, whatever your will is, whatever your way is, whatever you want to do in our lives, we surrender to you, O oh God. In fact, God, we surrender our all to you. All to Jesus, we surrender. You are worth it all, God. You're worth all of us. God, we don't we want to be tossed to and fro anymore. We want to give ourselves 100% over to you. So take us, Lord. Use us for your glory, for your honor, and for your praises. Wherever you want us to go, however you want us to go, wherever and whenever you want us to go, we make ourselves available. Move by your spirit, we pray, God. Touch each one of these people, God. You have a specific calling on their life. And I pray this morning that they will say, I am here. Here am I. I'll go for you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, even right now. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.